Okay. So, <laughs> why don't we do this? Why don't we start off with a word of prayer, okay? Who'd like to open up with prayer? Who said that? Tom? Yeah, Tom, thanks. <laughs> Father, I sure thank you for today. I thank you for the teaching that we're going to hear today. I thank you for blessing our hearts with you. I thank you for how we meet all our needs and that we can just be stronger each and every time we hear a teaching and we have something new to practice and go and walk out on. I thank you for blessing every believer here and the ones that couldn't make it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Okay, well, why don't you do this? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to start tonight. There is a subject that is very misconstrued throughout Christianity for almost exclusively um, misconstrued. It is the subject of our deliverance from sin through Jesus Christ. It is commonly understood that Jesus Christ died for our sins, so you believe on Him and you get remission of your sins, the complete wiping away of your sins. But from that moment forward, you have to uh, deal with your sins one by one. You have to deal with them as you sin, as you uh, miss the mark with God. You've got to deal with those sins. This is not true. Jesus Christ died for all of the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. You no more have to deal with your sins than you have to do the work of your new birth. You don't have to do anything to earn your new birth. You can't do anything to deserve it. You can't do anything to acquire it except believe the message. The same is true regarding sins. Sins. Now, we're, just, we're going to handle tonight from the scriptures first that Jesus Christ did the work to deliver us from sin. Okay? Uh, then we're going to uh, see how this progresses into... Um, that it includes every sin that you have committed are committing or are planning on committing. Doesn't matter. It's all the same to God. They were all covered by the cross, okay? Then we're going to get into something practical on this because it really affects our lives big time. You know, if, if you asked me if you could borrow my car tonight and I said, okay, here's the keys. You know, you need it till what time? Well, till 10 o'clock and I'll be back here at 10. I said, okay, here's the keys. You know, I'll see you at 10 or even if you're a little later, whatever. But, you know, here's the keys. So I gave you the keys to my car, right? Would it be like a logical thing for you to say, okay, Mike, could I borrow your car? Say, wait a minute, you already asked me that and I've already lent you the car. You have the keys, right? Yeah, I have the keys. Well, could I ask you another question? Could I borrow your car? This is really what we've done in asking God to forgive us for our sins. Because He already has. There's not a sin anybody will ever commit that wasn't covered by the cross already. The question then lies in, what do we do with this subject? 
When we know we've done something contrary to God, what do we do? That's where we want to go, to where this, our deliverance from sins, becomes practical in the right way. Look, here's another way to look at this. All wrong practice stems from wrong doctrine. Get the doctrine right, the practices clean up. We've got a wrong practice in that we're asking God to forgive us for what He's already forgiven us for. Now, this might be new information to some of you. If it is, and you have a hard time hearing what we're covering tonight, you need to take a good look at the Scriptures. This subject is proclaimed through the Scriptures so that everybody should know it. The problem is, we've been taught different things that are erroneous, so when we come to the Scriptures, we read into them. But if you will let the Scriptures speak that you have been delivered from sin through Jesus Christ, one act at Calvary, now and forever. If you will let the Scriptures speak, you will come to that conclusion all on your own between you and your Heavenly Father. But you've got to look at the Scriptures. See, you've got to let the Scriptures speak. Don't read them through what you understand. Or should I say what we think we understand. See, my biggest challenges have been in coming to this grace message. I've been a Christian uh, really coming to the Bible for over 25 years now. Okay? The scriptures really began to speak when I quit reading into them. I began to understand this message that it's all by the grace of Jesus Christ when I quit reading the scriptures through what I thought I understood what was already in my head. Just read the scriptures. Don't add to them. Don't take away from them. Just read the scriptures. It's a discipline. But as you do this, you will see that it will clear the air in your thinking in areas that you think you've got it down. The scriptures are designed to do this work. And you have the spirit to put the lights on. So let's look at this subject of deliverance from sins or now the state that we are in, which is called righteousness. Righteousness, okay? Righteousness is the state of being right, like happiness is the state of being happy. You add ness to the end of a word, and it's the state of. Righteousness is the state of being right. Okay, well, let's look at this verse. Last verse in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become or be made the righteousness of God in Him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Does it say earn the righteousness of God anywhere in there? Does it say you have to get yourself back into it anywhere there? You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Put in the state of being right. Okay, go back to, let's look at several of these verses before we really get going with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Well, it's in chapter 1, right before chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 30. Watch this verse closely. Remember, don't read into it. Let's just read it for what it's saying. It says, for by his doing, okay, is that saying that it's in any way by your doing? No. no, it's by his doing. 
By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. You know what in means, right? These lemons are in this glass of water. So you could say those lemons are all wet, right? Because they're in the water. So they have been placed in the water. Therefore, whatever that is that they're in is all around those lemons. Or those lemons are all about <laughs> what they're in, the water. They're in the water. You have been placed in Christ Jesus by God's doing. In Christ Jesus. Those lemons now have the effect of the water because they are in the water. You have been placed in Christ Jesus. Now you have the effects of Christ Jesus. What are these effects? Let's read the rest of the verse. Who, Christ Jesus, became to us or toward us the wisdom from God. Now this is the wisdom from God. It's talking about what in the context uh, of what God planned from the beginning toward mankind, which is now made known unto us in regards to the mystery. Okay, So this wisdom of God, he became to us wisdom from God. Then most translations have the word and. It should be the word even. Some of you will have a note if you have a like a study Bible. Even righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So what is this wisdom of God that Christ has been made to be toward us? Toward us? The wisdom from God, even righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So you have been placed in Christ Jesus, like those lemons are on the water, by God's doing. Who, Christ Jesus, was made unto us the wisdom from God. So think of Christ Jesus as the water in here. Okay? The water. So you have been placed in Christ Jesus. Okay? Who was made unto us the wisdom from God. God planned that you would be in Christ Jesus, like those lemons are on the water, so that you would get the effects of Him. Even righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What's righteousness? The state of being right. It's very, very simple. Don't add to it. It's rightness. Righteousness. It's the state of being right. Okay. So, let's look at, let's look at this subject of deliverance from sins um, from the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 4, the end of the chapter. Romans 4. Now, it's talking in this chapter about Abraham that we have learned a great deal from Abraham as a uh, father of all those that believe because he believed God and it was credited unto him for righteousness because he believed God. So it was credited to him as righteousness. God just said, you believe what I say, I make you righteous. I'm claiming you as righteous, Abraham, because you believe my words. Well... The end of the chapter, verse 23, says, Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited. What's credited? Righteousness. Yep. As those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So what does it take to have righteousness credited to us? You believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So, to have righteousness credited to you, you have to believe 
in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Why? Next verse. Next verse. Last verse of the chapter, 25. He who was delivered over because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Do you know what justified means? Well, in simplicity, the easiest way to remember it is just as if I'd never sinned. You have been justified by faith. Abraham believed God. Righteousness was credited to him. You believe God. Righteousness is credited to you. So having been justified by faith, we believe. And righteousness is credited to us also. It's credited to us. It's just the way you are now is righteous. Well, keep going down. Let's go down to chapter 5. Down here in verse 9. It says, Much more than having now been justified by confessing my sins. No. Justified by his what? Blood. Blood. So chapter 5, verse 1, you're justified by faith. Verse 9, you're justified by his blood. In other words, you believe in regards to him, his shed blood for your sins. Boom, you're righteous. Why did he die? For the sins of the world, to deliver us from sin. So, uh, as a note here, in John 1, in verse 29, John the Baptist introduces Jesus Christ to the whole nation of Israel. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who, what? takes away the sin of the world. Did he not do the job? Or did he literally take it away? Was it taken away by him? Either it's truth or it is a lie. Did he not take it away? Or did he take it away and then send it back again? Right? Either it says what it says or we're going to add to it. Did he take it away? That's what the scripture says. Well, let's go a step further. We're in Romans... Uh, no, go to Hebrews first. Hebrews... Ch- ah, go to 1 John first. We'll go there first. There's a lot of places we can go. Go to 1 John first, then we'll go backwards. First John, in chapter 2, look at these first two verses. It says... My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we can confess our sins and... No. Does it say that? If any man sins, what, what has God given if we sin? We have an advocate with the... You know what an advocate is? Stands it, in the way. Yeah, stand, stands in the way or in behalf of another. Somebody else said something? Attorney. Yeah, like a defense attorney. That's like textbook, uh, uh, which, which uh, defense attorney stands in behalf of another. See how those two work together? So a defense attorney, one who stands in behalf of another. Who's the another? Me. Well, if any man sins, if anyone sins, we have one who's going to stand in our behalf. Jesus Christ, the righteous, our defense attorney. He goes to bat for us. How does he go to bat? Read the next verse. <laughs> And he himself is the propitiation for our sins that were passed. No. He is a propitiation for our sins. 
He is the propitiation. You know what propitiation means? There's, there's, yeah, in a, in a, in a very generic sense, it would mean full payment. But the reason you get the full payment is because it literally means an appeasement. It, an appeasement. If, if I, I borrow uh, Brian's car and I wreck his car and I say, Brian, I'm really sorry, but here's the keys. I don't think you can drive it, but here you go. He's mad. I wrecked his car. Was that right? No. What could I do to help? Well, Brian, what could I do to appease you? Well, I just got that, that car. So what I really need is a car just like that one. So, okay, Father, we got to get Brian another car. So I find a car. Two days, I finish the whole deal, and I get Brian the same exact car. Color, mileage, everything. Brian says, this is perfect. I'm appeased. Is Brian any longer mad at me? No. No, he's appeased. Why? Because full payment was made to appease him. That's propitiation. That's propitiation. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He was the appeasement to God. God says, I am no longer then going to hold anything against you. You are literally scot-free. Let go. I hold nothing against you. You're absolved. I hold nothing against you right now. Okay? So, verse 2 again. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Wait a minute, saints. Think this one through a little bit here. He's the full payment, the appeasement to God, not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The world, not just for the saints. The world. They haven't even accepted Jesus Christ. He still made the payment for every one of their sins. And we're to think God is going to hold something against us for something we did? We who have already been absolved from sin? What is the matter with this way of thinking? Well, it, we've been twisted. We've been thrown a curve. That's what's happened. And I'm glad to tell you about it. Because any time that... God sends us uh, uh, information that straightens out what was made crooked. Now, you've got to figure out, you know, if you're questioning what I'm saying right here, am I throwing you a curve in what we're reading? Or have you been thrown a curve already and then I'm trying to throw something to straighten it out? If you're questioning this subject, go to the scriptures. If you want me to send you some scriptures, as in about a hundred of them, that handle this subject, you know, as much as I can to the Old and New Testament, give me a call. Send me an email. Uh, tell me now. I'd be glad to send something that help. Just don't look at what I wrote. Just look at the scriptures and let them speak. Let them speak. Jesus Christ is a propitiation to God. He appeased God not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world. Listen, saints. You are, oh yeah, so you're saints, right? Holy ones, okay? You're identified with Jesus Christ, right? You, it says, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. You are identified with his name. Do you not bear the name Christian? Okay? Christ in, you bear the name Son of God? You bear these names. Okay, so, you ever hear of blemishing the family name? I did a lot growing up. Well, you guys were good. <laughs> I grew up here in that. So uh, if you blemish the family name, right, you've done something wrong. That's the only way you can blemish the family name. 
You cannot blemish the family name, saints. You cannot blemish that name of Jesus Christ. Same chapter, look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. You've got to swallow this. You've got to think about this until it just connects. Look at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. Why? For his namesake. For the family namesake. Your sins have been forgiven. You know why it says have, have been forgiven? Because it's even better than that. Daniel said past tense. It's even more specific than that. It's in the perfect tense. Which, even in English, the perfect tense is the same as in the Greek. It means something was done in the past and never needs to be repeated no matter how long you go. Jesus Christ said, it is finished. Perfect tense. Does he have to die for sins any longer? No. That's perfect tense, saints. We have been forgiven for his name's sake. Perfect tense. It's been done. Ongoing. Why? You know why? Because if Dennis was able to screw it up, then he would blemish the family name. And what would happen to that name of Jesus Christ? It'd be blemished. But Dennis has been forgiven for the family namesake. His namesake. Isn't that wild? Okay, let's handle it from a different angle. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Any one of these sections, God could put this together for you clearer than what you've understood it before. Any one of these sections we're looking at. Any one of these. We're just, we're just introducing this, uh, you know, tonight. Um, you know, uh, in, in other words, we're handling this in an introductory way. This, there's so many other facets to this. Listen, God, this is the last leg up the adversary has on somebody that believes on the cross. You know why? The only entrance he can have into your life is if somehow you are sin conscious or other than the cross conscious. It's the only leg up you can have in your life. If you have to confess your sins to get out of being under them, he's got a leg up in your life. The adversary is somebody you don't want to have a leg up in your life. <laughs> if there's any way to shut that dude down, well, God's done everything to shut him down. So if we accept this reality that Jesus Christ died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world, the adversary doesn't have that leg up anymore. He can't just come into your life and say, see, you screwed that up. You ought to, you know, be sorry and live in a sorry state. Does that sound like uh, uh, God telling us to live in a sorry state? No, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You are my children. I call you saints. You are holy and without blame, which we haven't even touched that one yet. You're holy and without blame. That's what God tells you. You know, you look, here's another angle. Just before we go, I'll come right to you. We, the title sinner. The title sinner. Look it up. Find me anywhere in Paul's letters that you are called a sinner since you believed. Now, I'll show you a couple places you were called a sinner before you believed, but I'm not talking about before you believed. When you believed, you received that uh, absolving of sins. There's, there's no more. You are forgiven for his namesake when you believed on Jesus Christ. Do you get it? So you're no longer called a sinner. You're now called a saint. In all of our epistles, we're all called saints. So if I think of myself as a sinner, then I'm saying, God, what you say is not true. What I feel 
is really true. Or what I've accepted or the way I think, God, this is the way it is because this is the way I think. God says, well, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Are you going to come over to my way of thinking or are you going to hold on to your own? See it? We are not called sinners. We're called saints for a reason. God knows what he's talking about. Do we? No. Right? <laughs> See, okay, okay, question. Oh, uh, now, as a believer, if we're not, uh, we're supposed to represent Christ, basically, right? Uh, okay, I'll stick with that for now, but, uh, you know, okay. That might not be the proper terminology. But right, but I'll stick, we'll stick with that for now. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, can't we blemish his name if we're not, um, you know, living exactly how we're supposed to live? Aha! Okay. So did everybody hear the question? Yes. Okay. Can we not blemish his name if we're not living up to, like, the standard of the truth, right? This would be another way to say it. Righteousness. Or living the Christian life, living, living righteously. If we're around unbelievers and we're not bearing fruit and we're not acting like the Bible teaches a Christian is supposed to act, right. wouldn't that be blemishing his name? Right, that's a good question. So wouldn't we be blemishing his name if we are acting like ungodly or unrighteously or contrary to God? Well, we're, uh, we went to, think of the verses we just read. Now, does the Bible contradict itself? No. no. Can God contradict himself? No. It's impossible. Think about the verses we already read. Okay? Um, you have been justified by his blood. Okay? We looked at um, you have been forgiven for his namesake in the perfect tense, never needing to be repeated. You've been forgiven for his namesake. Okay? Um, he already died. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, so that his name stays without blemish. See, the problem is we've been pointed to our identity lies in what we do rather than our identity lies in what he did. See the difference? This is what we've been fed. And saints, I'm going to tell you flat out, I don't care if you hate my guts, quite frankly, that is a lie. And that is going to destroy your life if you accept it. Did you hear those words? It will destroy your life. Your life is not to be built on what you do. Your life is built on what he did. What he did, he made you righteous. You can never change that. What he made you to be is what he made you to be. Okay, we're going to look at that. We can go to this next verse. But let's build on this a little bit and then we'll come back to that a little, even a little stronger, okay? Because <laughs> it's a big deal. If we accept that we can blemish his name and God says we can't blemish his name, one is true and one's a lie. It's a matter of what we're going to believe. Saints, our whole growth from now until the return of Jesus Christ is learning to accept the truth. It's learning to accept the truth. The question is, what is the truth? If I think I have truth, it's a good deceptive move. Listen to this. If you think you've got truth, but you don't have it, are you going to be looking for truth? No. Very smart move, isn't it? The question is, what does the truth say? And listen, here's some other words to believe. Do not believe what people tell you about the Bible. If you're going to listen to a teaching like this one, or in any church, any church environment, you know, take your notes, whatever you got to do. But if you question it in any way, you have the Spirit of God, saints. 
You're questioning it for a reason. Either it's conflicting with your flesh or it's conflicting with your spirit. It's one or the other. See it? So you've got to find out what it is. So go to the scriptures and let them speak. They will communicate to you better than anybody else will. Okay? It's a major safeguard. God has given us his word and his spirit for this purpose. To make these things known unto you. That's what it says. Okay, so uh, we're going to keep developing on, on that question. That's a good one. Because this is what I dealt with for years and why I lived in guilt, condemnation, and the rest. Because I thought my identity lied in or I was who I, uh, I was identified with what I did rather than being identified with what he did for me. Now, all these scriptures we're looking at is all identifying with what he did for me. Is, is it possible to misrepresent him by our actions even though we don't have to have the guilt. Okay, well, let's, let's yeah, but let's answer this uh, question more directly by God gives us our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, right? By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, so you've been placed in Christ Jesus, you know, uh, um, who was made unto us the wisdom from God, even righteousness and sanctification and redemption, right? All those things. So if we, that's our identity now, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Think of it this way. You have an identity by gender. You're either a male or a female. If you act like the opposite gender, does that change your gender? No. Neither does acting other than Christ. It doesn't change the reality of who you are in Christ. That's why it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God and doesn't say when you're doing things right. It doesn't say that for a reason, saints. It doesn't say to the saints who are at Ephesus if they're walking correctly. Do you understand? God gives us an identity no matter how we act. Now, I'm starting with this, and the, pro you know, the problem that I came up with... No, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm, I'm just wondering <clears throat> if we can still have that way of thinking, of course, but right. still m misrepresent Christ to unbelievers because of the way we act. Well, what, even, though, even though God doesn't hold, us against, hold it against us, right. and everything lines up just like what you're saying... But we can still misrepresent him. Because how is someone going to believe we're genuine if we don't act it? Okay, uh, we can't go too far down that trail because it's based on a premise, which is another lie that's been fed to the church. You, uh, which I don't, we, you know, to get into that would complicate things, but I'm just going to flat out say it. There is not a scripture that tells you that you are responsible to take the word over the world. Do you realize that? You look at all those scriptures that talk about the great um, commissioning or the Great Commission, it's all to the apostles. It's all to the apostles. Or Paul was saying it to Timothy as a leader of the church. Do you understand? Where you get to, it, and many things have been pawned off as, as right doctrine this way. Just when you're reading the scriptures, look at who is it addressing. Now based on that, now we can rewind and go back to, okay, what is God concerned that we think as believers? Believers. He says, believe me. That's what believers are supposed to do. Just believe what I say is true. Listen, the number one most boiled down point of the new covenant is that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the remission of our sins. That's the foundation upon which the rest of Christianity is built. And you know what we've done? We've allowed this foundation to be eroded to where our lives are trying to be built from the third, fourth, eighth story. 
instead of accepting that, look, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how I feel, no matter what I look like, no matter what my neighbors tell me, no matter what my spouse tells me, no matter what anybody says, thinks, or does, including me, I am what God says that I am in Christ. He's not wrong. Everything else that's contrary to what he says is wrong. Do you understand? That is huge. And I'm so emphatic with this, saints, because of the deliverance that I received because I was put under the bondage of you are identified with what you do. Oh, if you've taken enough classes, if you've gone to enough church services, if, 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 if. You are a son of God. You don't find if in that, bur in that uh, statement. You are. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right? You have been delivered for his namesake. There's no if clause. There's no if clause. So don't throw them in there. Don't add to the word. Okay? Wait, before we go too much further, you've got to see about 45 more of these verses. Just kidding. This one is huge though. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10. Watch this. This one is one of them that really rocked my boat. This really rocked my boat because it was so hard for my religious flesh to accept this point right here that we're going to look at. Look at verse 14 of Hebrews 10. Watch what this verse says. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Do you see that verse? Yes. Dennis, you hearing this verse? This is huge. Hebrews 10 and verse 14. This is huge. Watch this. It says, For by one offering he has perfected for how long? Forever those who are sanctified. He's perfected forever. Does, can anybody give me a definition of perfect? Complete. Without flaw. Both of those are textbook. That's like, without flaw. If I have a complete dozen apples, do I have 11? Do I have 13? Do I have more than 13? Less than 11. I have exactly 12 apples. Perfect is perfect. It's flawless, according to Hebrews 8. Flawless. Without flaw. Look at the verse again. By one offering. Whose offering was that? Jesus Christ. This happened 2,000 years ago, approximately, right? So by this almost 2,000-year-old event... That one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. He's perfected forever. Does that mean that your work, because we don't walk the Christian life, does that mean that can undo what God says is true? Has he perfected you forever? Now, mark that verse in your Bible and get it in your head because you're going to be challenged. I don't feel perfect. I don't act perfect. So-and-so says I'm not perfect. You're going to have every reason not to believe that this verse is true. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. If God says you're perfected for perfected, does that say that you will be perfect? No. Perfected is in what tense? Past, present, or future? Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. Perfected. You have been perfected by the one offering. 2,000 years ago, you've been perfected forever. Without flaw. Forever. So can I screw this thing up according to this verse? Okay, now we have a problem with regular doctrine, don't we? If I think that I can sin and I've got to do something or anything or to get out from under this sin, then I'm contradicting this verse. Because either I'm perfected forever or I'm not. 
Right? Yes. Think of it this way. God has like sin amnesia. <laughs> you say, okay, God, I'm really sorry for what I said to so-and-so yesterday. He says, what thing? Oh, you know, God, this thing that I said to so-and-so and it really hurt him and it's really bothering me. He says, what thing? And you insist. He keeps saying, what thing? And we still don't get it. He has perfected you forever. How he sees you is in Christ. How he sees Christ is how he sees you. How he sees you is in Christ. However Christ is, so are you. <laughs> let's, let's say it the way 1 John 4.17 says it. As he is, so are we in this world. Does it say that we're going to be when he returns? Now that's a common doctrine. No, I don't mean to sound so contrary. It's just that the scriptures are. They're contrary to many of the ways we believe. That's okay. You had to think other than what you thought in the first place to get born again. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Jesus died and rose again. Who's this Jesus? How do I know he ever lived? Did he go through that torture or didn't he? You had to go through all this stuff. Did he die? If he died, how can he be raised from the dead? I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. How could he have been raised from the dead? And you're hearing these words and you're in this like thing in your mind going, okay, is it true or is it not? And at some point you go, wow, he was here and he did die and he was raised from the dead and something drastically changed at that point. What happened? You believe the truth. So what happens if you believe that you are perfected forever? Do you think you're going to feel condemnation before too long? How are you going to feel guilt if you're perfected forever? See what happens if you believe the truth? There's no more guilt. It doesn't exist in Christ. How about condemnation? Having judgment against you in any way? It doesn't exist in Christ. That's why Romans 8.1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So does that mean accept when I sin and don't, you know, say I'm sorry for it? No, it means what it says. Don't add to it. <laughs> it says what it says. Do you see it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is so great. You have been perfected forever. Why? Because he made that one offering. Look at the same chapter 10. Look at verse 12. Leading into it. It says, But he, talking about Christ, having offered again one sacrifice for sins for how long? Sat down at the right hand of God. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. So is there any more sacrifice that needs to be made for sins? Do you think... Think of what it means to confess your sins one by one to God or to confess that, God, I've been a screw-up, I've been a screw-up, I've been a screw-up. That takes work. That takes a processing of where I've been wrong. See it? He has made this one sacrifice for all sins forever. Forever. Because, you know, somebody once said, it's been repeated many times, somebody once said, well, he paid for my sins up to where I got born again, and now I have to confess them. What? Well, wait a minute. He paid for sins for how long? Forever. Here's another angle on the same thing. How many of your sins were future 2,000 years ago? Well, he paid this price 2,000 years ago, didn't he? 
Well, he paid for sins forever by the sacrifice of himself. That's what the scriptures say. We've gone to the point of, well, I have to confess these errors to God. First problem with that, go back to chapter 9 of Hebrews. Look what this says. Verse 22, chapter 9, And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no what? Okay, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So what blood is being shed when you confess your sins? He already shed the blood. As far as God's concerned, this thing was done 2,000 years ago. But how about if you do something wrong? What further blood is to be shed? Because it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Do you see it? You guys, this, this thing is handled from so many different angles in the scriptures. Jesus Christ says, he who believes on me, if you're taking notes, it's John 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, he who believes on me has no judgment against him. He who does not believe on, in me is judged of God or is judged because he has not believed on the only begotten son. So either you believe on him or you don't. If you believe on him, you have no judgment against you. You mean to tell me just at that moment? How about the one who doesn't believe on him? He has judgment against him. But the one who doesn't, does believe in Christ, he has no judgment against him. See how this works? Okay. You, you know, I had to look at this thing and look at it and look at it and look at it. And like many of you, it's taking me, taken me a long time to really accept this. But the scriptures have done their work. You let them speak and they will get through to you. There's another angle altogether. Listen to this. If I'm confessing my sin to God or even my broken fellowship, when I say, I'm, God, I've screwed up, what am I thinking about? Self. That I screwed up. Okay, self. Yeah, that's another angle to look at it. But that I screwed You can't be thinking about your broken fellowship if you're not thinking about what you did to break that fellowship. You're thinking about error, right? Error. Okay, listen. How does that get reckoned with the thought of set your thoughts on things above? The second part of the verse says, and not on things on the earth. If you were to, you know, sin, where is that? In heaven or on earth? Well, then where are you supposed to set your thoughts? Do you understand there's another angle altogether we hadn't even touched till just now? How do you set your thoughts on things above and not on things on the earth? And still think about your sin. Is your sin on earth or in heaven? You see the problem? Uh, lead every that captive the obedience of Christ. Well, who did the sinning? You or Christ? How do you do that then? <laughs> you see the problem? Right? Uh, uh, what is that one in, uh, in Philippians uh, 4? The, think these thoughts, that which is lovely, good, acceptable. You find sin in that verse? No. Then what are you thinking about it for? Okay, let's boil this down to really practical what we're supposed to do with this. Once you get this, and I'm, if I haven't handled that enough for you, I apologize. I, as far as the doctrine goes, just take a look at these scriptures. There are many of them that say the same thing. There's nothing else that has to be done for your deliverance from sin. Jesus Christ did it all. Nothing you have to do. What are we left to do then? Accept the truth. Accept that he died for our sins. That's why if you go to Romans 6, if... 
when you're going through the epistles written to the church, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. As you're going through these letters, okay, you don't find one command until you get to this one. This is the first command in the letters written to the church penned by Paul. This is the first command. Watch what it says. Romans 6, in verse 11. Even so, reckon or consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you see that verse? Even so, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto God. You know what this word reckon is? Is I'm going to throw out a Greek word. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's logizomai. Logizomai is to add things up to draw a conclusion. In, it's used, it's a mathematical word. We get a word logic from it. Okay, it's mathematical. So if you have 2 plus 2 plus 2, logizomai is to conclude that that equals 6. That's logizomai. So what are we adding up here in the context to come to this conclusion that we are dead unto sin and alive unto God? Dead unto sin and alive unto God. Well, back up. Look at same chapter. Look at verse 3. Well, look at verse 2 first before you even go to verse 3. It says, may it never be, chapter 6, verse 2, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? So have we died to sin? Now this is one of the points being made because we're going to start adding these things up to come to the conclusion that we are dead to sin. How are we going to conclude we're dead to sin? Because he's going to show us why. He says you are dead to sin. Then you go to verse 3. Just so you can get this, verse 3 says, Do you not know? Don't you know? <laughs> Don't you know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Do you know what baptism means? Immersed. What does it mean? Immersed. Yeah, immersed. Uh, but with uh, this word has an added connotation to it. It's not just the word immersed. It means when something's immersed and then it comes out with the qualities of what it was immersed into. This is used during about two things in, uh, in the Greek writings that I could find. The word baptize, they would baptize clothes because what you take is like, you know, a white, you know, what do they call those things? That turban. Turban. <laughs> a white turban and you <laughs> baptize it into green dye. You pull it out. It's now what? Green. So, yeah, it's green. So they wouldn't say that they immersed that. They would use the word baptize because it went in and then it came out with the qualities of what it was baptized into. The other thing was pickles. Where you take a cucumber, you cook it, you put it in this solution called a pickling solution. Okay, you immerse that cucumber in that pickling solution. You leave it there for two to three weeks, you take it out, you call it now a what? Pickle. A pickle. It's been baptized. So now it's identified with its solution it was baptized into. You no longer call it a cucumber. But that's what it is. It's just been baptized in a pickling solution. It looks like a cucumber. But it tastes like a pickle. <laughs> it smells like a pickle. It's called pickles on the jar. But you know it's a cucumber. But it's been baptized into a pickling solution. Do you get it? We have been baptized into Christ Jesus, into his death. <coughs> now, this isn't going to take much. <laughs> what did he accomplish with his death? Died for the sins of the world. Died for the sins of the world. That's the bottom line issue, right? 
Okay, if you've been baptized into his death, you came out with the qualities of what he died for. Saints, come on. You are now baptized into his death. You came out delivered from sin. When he was raised from the dead, was it with sin? No. No, he died. He died to carry the sins of the world, and he died, and sin was over with from God's point of view. He died for not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Do you see this now? Adding up these points, you come to the conclusion drawn in verse 11. Reckon yourselves, conclude yourselves also, dead unto sin and alive unto God. The scriptures teach that sin put a difference between man and God. God stayed the steady, man was with God. Man sins and put a difference between man and God. Jesus Christ came and reconciled us back to God, joined us back to God. How? He had to deal with the sins. He had to leave you without an attachment to sin to reconcile us back to God. Because you and I know that God is righteous and unrighteousness cannot be compatible with righteousness. So Jesus Christ had to make us righteous. You've been made the righteousness of God. So now you are or have been made by Jesus Christ compatible with God. Joined to him, reconciled to him. Had he not died for our sins and it's an over with deal? then our reconciliation is in, out, in, out, in, out. And if we're honest, it's in, out, 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 in, out, 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 right? I mean, that's real life. Because, you know, we sin like, you know, an army. <laughs> an army where it has smelly feet, you know. So God set it up that we would no longer have sin attached to us. So he's saying, listen, saints, conclude the same as I have told you. I delivered you from sin through my son, Jesus Christ. He paid the price so that you would be left concluding what I say is true. That you are dead unto sin. This is the first command given. We've missed it. How can you keep moving with something? You know, if you get hired for a job and they tell you the first thing to do and you mess that thing up, they're not going to be too confident in your next assignment, are they? (laughs) Well, we've messed this up. We reckoned ourselves alive unto sin. Alive unto sin. And you know what? If sin is the separation between man and God, and we reckon ourselves alive unto sin, then we're dead unto God. It's just the opposite result. Just the opposite. You can't be sin conscious and sun conscious at the same time. They're impossible because they're opposites. And this is where I had missed it for a long time. And I'm suspect that many of you have done the same because this is the most prominent lie out there in the church that we still have to deal with sin either Jesus Christ dealt with it like the scriptures say and that's it or we have to deal with it too reckon yourselves dead indeed unto it so in practice what do we do when you know you've done something wrong what do you do Jesus Christ died for this sin God you had him pay for it all thank God you've delivered me from this problem We are not breaking partnership because I no longer need to be sin conscious. You've delivered me from that reality. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Now the life which I live in my flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How could I live by that? Because he gave himself for me. He died for that which was the gap between me and my Father. And same thing for you, saints. It's a done-did deal. Just to close this out, I want to show you 
This was the problem with the Old Covenant. Okay? Look at Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll finish out right here. Hebrews chapter 8. There was a problem with the Old Covenant. Now, you've got to hear what I'm saying. God is perfect. What He established with the law is perfect. He can only produce that which is perfect. So the problem wasn't in what He produced. The flaw had to be somewhere else. <laughs> and it was. That's what we're going to read about. Here was the problem with the Old Covenant. It wasn't with the covenant itself. Chapter 8 of Hebrews. Look at verse 6. But now... He has obtained, talking about Jesus Christ, he has obtained a more excellent ministry than Moses, is the context, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted or based upon better promises. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, wait a minute, if the first covenant had been faultless, saying the first covenant had fault, the first covenant was given by God to Moses, right? The Ten Commandments. What do you mean if it had, if it was faultless? You mean it had fault? It did. Keep reading. There would have been no occasion sought for a second. If the first one was faultless, there would be no need for a second covenant, the one we have now, the, uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. But the problem is there was a fault with it. The next verse tells you what the problem is. Verse 8, For finding fault with the covenant? No. Finding fault with them them, them, the people. The flesh has always been weak to keep a perfect standard. You know, if there's 20 of us here, we have 20 living examples. <laughs> the flesh is weak to keep a perfect standard. So God, you know, being facetious, but, hmm, okay, here I give them perfection, and they mess this thing up, up one side and down the other and everywhere in between. How am I going to fix this problem? No matter what I give them as perfection... They screw it up. What can I do? I know. I'll make it to where they can't screw it up. So you know what he did with the new covenant? He got rid of the us factor. It's all what he has done for us, not what we do for him. That's built upon the new covenant. The new covenant is what he has done toward us. Ephesians chapter 1. That's it. This is where it concludes right here. Ephesians chapter 1. The problem with the first covenant is that it had a fault. The people couldn't keep it. The people couldn't keep it. So you know what God did? He got rid of the problem. He eliminated the us factor. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with us keeping it. It has everything to do with God saying, this is what I've done toward you. That's true. I have paid the price for your sins. They're over with. From my point of view, I see you in Christ. You are forgiven or have been forgiven for my namesake. It's done. Every sin was paid for by that one act of Jesus Christ. It's done. Ephesians 1, look at verse 4. It says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and without blame before Him in love. And it goes on. That we would be holy and without blame. You know what without blame literally means? Flawless. That's what it means. That's technically what that word means because it's referring to us being a sacrifice unto God, you know, living for God. A, a sacrifice was never acceptable to God. Look it up in the Old Testament. It's all over the place in those uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. A sacrifice was never accepted to God if it had one blemish, 
One blemish. That's why the Son of God had to be blemishless to be a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Not one blemish. Yeah. So now we have been made flawless, blemishless to be a presentable sacrifice to God. We are 100% acceptable to Him because of Jesus Christ's shed blood. God eliminated us screwing up the covenant. How is he going to fix the old covenant? Because it had a fault. The people couldn't keep it. So what did he do? Make it to where the people, it doesn't rest upon them. It rests on Jesus Christ's work in their behalf. He got rid of the flaw. This covenant we have, saints, is called in Hebrews 13, 20, the eternal covenant. You know why? It never needs to be fixed. It's forever. Because it doesn't rest on us. It rests on the work of Jesus Christ. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus forever. That's it. That's it. So where does that leave us? Extremely thankful to God. As, as this truth gets realized in us more and more as we get closer to Christ's return, you will become increasingly thankful, increasingly joyful, increasingly on your knees mentally. Everywhere you go, your knees are worn out. Because <laughs> it leaves you, man, God, you didn't have to do this. But you did it. You even made it to where I can't screw this up. How loving was that? Parents, try to find that attitude towards your children. <laughs> that rests in God. To hold nothing against them at any time. That's our Father toward us, saints. He sees us in Christ Jesus. For His name's sake, He forgave us. Isn't that wonderful? Thank God for the truth. So if I can help you with this any further, please allow me the privilege. I would love to just put more verses in front of you. That's a load of them right there, but there are a lot more that say the same thing. And the big challenge verse is 1 John 1, 9, which says, you know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We had to write a paper to handle that because it's such a problem in the church. But one verse in the whole New Testament that doesn't fit with the rest. You don't throw out the rest and adhere to the one. You, you look at the one in light of the rest. How does it fit? It fits. It fits very well. So it's just looking at the one in light of the clear ones, right? That's what we do. So anyway, praise God for the truth. It gets me so thankful. It's a privilege sharing this stuff. So Father, thank you for your great love. Father, for thinking this all through from the very beginning. For making it, Father, to where you completely took it out of our responsibility our job and completely rested it on your son and his work. Father, only you can open our eyes to truth. And I pray for that to happen, not only for each one of us here, Father, but all of us, your people, all across the face of the earth. Not just with this truth, Father, but every single one you've made known to the church already and you continue to uncover. Thank you, Father, for helping us see things more and more clearly. That's only through the eyes of the truth by way of your spirit that that can happen. So again, Father, I pray this for all of us, your people everywhere across the face of the earth.